films, videos and books, to songs, poetry, music and television. We'll talk about all mediums through which stories are told and how they've impacted the world we live in today. I'm Alex and as ever I'm joined by Stu and Steve. Hey guys. Greetings. Hello there. So come, pull up a seat, get yourself a nice drink and join us for a right good tale. We come to the only reason we decided to do a podcast. The motherfucking Witcher. Let's go. We're the only reason. Oh, sorry. The only reason I decided to do a podcast was so I could talk about Henry Cavill's new gaming PC. <laughs> Henry Cavill's new gaming PC sponsors this episode. Yeah, this, this episode is sponsored by the jealousy I have for Henry Cavill over his gaming PC. I'm not even worried about his looks anymore. I've moved past that ever since that horrible moustache he had in Mission Impossible. And um, Superman. Don't forget he was in that with the I horrible... I forgot that was a thing. No, just... it wasn't. It was Justice League. Yes, it was. In Superman, he didn't have a fucking moustache, did he? You moron. Mm. I, I really like Henry Cavill. Um, how are you both anyway? How are you, Steve? How are you, Alex? I'm quite good, thank you. I'm a little bit warm in this room. I'm quite good. Can't complain. It's the weekend, so all is good in the hood. I went to the zoo today. I don't, I mean, not today to the people listening to this, and I don't know if it will be the weekend to the people listening to this. They could be listening to this in 10 years' time, in which case I went to the zoo on the 25th of July, 2020. It was nice. It was warm. It then rained for a bit, and there were loads of animals. I love animals so much. Did you see any really? wyverns at the zoo? I wish I did. But no, um, I don't, because they probably um, eat all the other animals, and I just love animals so much. Like I genuinely really love animals. So a zoo, for me, is like the place to be. Colchester Zoo, by the way. Shout out to Colchester Zoo. Is it, yeah, is it true you applied to work for the RSPCA, but your lack of opposable thumbs held you back? Just couldn't quite grasp the tasks they were throwing at you. I've just got like little, little seal flippers. <laughs> yeah, I saw actually on their Instagram, one of their orangutans was 15 and they threw him a birthday party with like a cake made of straw and kiwis and stuff. Pretty cute. Yeah. Did he like it? I think orangutans Did he like it? I, I don't know. They didn't show him eating it. I think they probably put it in there and then like put it away for next year. It's like a stale cake. They roll it every year. But it was magical either way. Just a glorified photo opportunity then. Exactly that. Just You know, like on Instagram, Twitter, online, like there's all these pictures of people who get steaks for their dogs for birthday and things like that. And cats, I don't know what you have to get cats for their birthday. Tuna fish. Tuna tire prawns fish, or something. Yeah. Tire fish and they eat it off but, the but do, do the animals actually have a clue what's going on? Well, I think so. So our cat, every time like we no. take her to the vets or something, we like have these little gourmet cans of like tuna and shrimp and stuff and she absolutely loves them. That wasn't Steve's question, though, was it? Steve's question was, do they know it's their birthday? You give a dog a steak and it thinks, fucking hell, it's so bad. Oh, this is all right. I can't I think... say it again tomorrow, please. And then tomorrow it's back to win a lot. I think it's... What's this? What They're they probably like? a little bit more salient than we give them credit for, but I don't know if they can actually pin the date down. They know it's like a different day, probably, don't they? Yeah. Or is it so, all just one big day? Do they wrap presents for him, you know, and... The dog opens it. How does this work? I've never. My mum used to do that for our dog. She used to wrap his little bones and stuff up. She gave him and like let him unwrap them. It was so creepy. Mm. What do they do? They just ripping it then? He, yeah, he, he just was attacks it and like loves opening them because like at Christmas, this is what it was. The dog 
one year at Christmas decided that the best thing about Christmas was the fact he got to eat all the wrapping paper. And mum was like, oh, I better give him wrapping paper all the time now. But this is the thing. You could do that with a dog. If I did that for my cat, which I did do last year, and he looked at the present, he looked at me, realised that once upon a time he would have been worshipped in ancient Greece. And that's, that's where we set the bar for cats. That's the problem. We worship them in ancient Greece. And ever since then, we've not done the same. And they're so furious about it all the time. Um, and he just walked... Yeah. That's why they don't talk to me. They just say, fuck you, humans. Yeah, they yeah. used to talk I to these humans. I had to lock my cat in the bedroom today for about two hours because we had my parents around with the dog. Um, at social distance, kids, don't worry. It's 2020, 2507, 2020. We all wore masks and stuff. No one hugged. Um, but she came out of the bedroom after two hours and just looked at us like we were scum. Mm. How dare you? What fucking animal was here before like, me? If she could pay the mortgage herself, she was like, she'd be like, you need to leave. Yeah, you need to leave immediately, um, but come back and give me food periodically. Oh, exactly that. You need to leave, but every day feed me somehow. You They're little come. monsters, aren't they? Yeah. They're little monsters. And do you know what? If only there was somebody who could deal with the monster problem for us, Alex. Well, Stu, maybe you want to sing us a little song. I don't, I don't want to just sing it. I want to sing it because I always want to sing it, but I wanted it to sort of, I was going to sneak it in organically. All right, well, you sneak it all organically while I talk about The Witcher um, and how I found it. So to me, I found, the, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, because a lot of people might not even know what this is, because we have a person on this podcast who obviously knew what it was, but maybe wasn't as involved in it as Stu and I. So we're hanging you out to dry tonight, Steve, but it'll be nice and you'll enjoy the feeling. Um, my yeah, coming to The Witcher was on Xbox 360, I remember there being a sale on the dash and me saying, oh, it's The Witcher 2 and realizing I couldn't get The Witcher 1 because they didn't yet have the backwards compatibility program. Going on it, playing it and thinking the magic system was incredible. The guy who voiced Geralt was great and just the the world itself was like really interesting, but it was a bit janky and I was like, okay, I love it. Played it, played through it. Like, what's the name of the enemy, the boss in The Witcher 2, Stu? You know, the big bald guy, the muscly, like crazy man? Is Remember it his name? Not Dijkstra, is it? Yeah, it's Dijkstra. Yeah, that's it. The, like the absolutely mental one, yeah? And thinking like he's an amazing character. Um, but then after that, put it down, forgot about it. And then I remember reading that CD Projekt Red were making the third one and literally being glued to any piece of information they would throw out and just becoming obsessed with the release of that game. And as we know, it, it got delayed a lot, as we're currently experiencing with Cyberpunk. Although COVID is doing the rounds... Um, I made it sound like the matron there going around to check all the pregnant ladies were fine, but it's not like that. COVID is very bad. Um, a lot of pushbacks and a lot of sort of anticipation for the game. And then it, the day it launched, I remember Stu and I both worked together still and both just going, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I've already bought The Witcher. I'm going home to play it and I'm never going to speak to anyone ever again. And that's the case for about two weeks, wasn't it? Just playing the game, coming into work every day and just talking about the game all day and then inevitably having work get very upset with us. I see it was you who introduced me to the witch actually, which mm. looking back on it now with, with the power of hindsight, given what, what like over your shoulder. Yeah. Oh, it's behind me. Um, given what I sort of like Lord of the Rings, I'm a big fantasy nerd and yeah. I like all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm one of, 
it, it's it shocked me really in a way that it took me so long to find the witcher because i remember growing up i was always looking for fantasy to read and i read a lot of fantasy and i was always yeah i was always looking for that kind of thing and the witcher just never came into it and i and i do wonder if outside of if outside of the witcher one and two and i sort of the witcher one is about as niche as it gets now isn't it even with the oh third it is. it's like what the real underground um, indie kids play I do wonder if, if outside of its home in Eastern Europe, if The Witcher just didn't have the acclaim until The Witcher 3, perhaps. Maybe that was what it was. But but no, it was Alex sort of said to me, The Witcher's coming out. And I remember thinking, what the hell is this? Looking into it and then thinking, this looks like my jam. There's a guy with white hair. There's monsters. There's naughty scenes. I was single at the time. Um, and it's fantasy. It's high fantasy. So I picked up the game and there we go. And then sort of, like I said, then you get that sort of wonderful power of hindsight where suddenly I was thinking, where the hell was this five, 10 years ago? And I remember hearing about the Witcher one and two in, in various magazines and online forums and things that I followed fantasy, but never really delving into it um, until the Witcher three. So that was really sort of my introduction. And I've not been obsessed since because that sounds creepy and it makes it sound like I want Henry Cavill to notice me, which I do. But, um, but no, it's sort of, it's really become a big thing in my life in terms of sort of gaming and geekdom is certainly top oh, yeah. three, top three best games I've ever played hands down. I think it's like my best game ever of anything. Really? Like, there is nothing else. Like, I thought for a time that my favourite game was Oblivion, and then I thought it was going to be Skyrim, but then they got a bit too weird when the dragons started talking to me and thought I was having like mm. a nervous breakdown. Hold, hold on, though. Steve, when did you come to The Witcher? Oh, I first got into The Witcher about three hours ago. <laughs> well, you knew about yeah, it beforehand, yeah. didn't you? I, I won't lie. I'm not going to pretend that I'm some No, expert. it's good. I've watched one episode of it about three hours ago, quite enjoyed it, confused by a lot of it, but I suppose, you know, it's a new show. It takes a while to kind of grow on you and stuff. And the uh, obviously plot points are obviously going to come later on. I'll probably stick with it. Have never played the games. I've never read the books. Um, mm. So yeah, uh, I'm completely blind going into this. That, that, that's going to be good. I think that's really cool. Cause it would be like a running theme through the episodes or not necessarily the episodes, but through this podcast and the, the outreach we have with it we will eventually have a Twitch channel running and we will have Steve playing it with the two of us mm. cussing him out as he plays it for your enjoyment. And I think it's really that Steve said a few things in there, which I will pick up on later yeah. on when we sort of come to a certain, a few things. Um, but no, so I think that's, that's where we found the Witcher, wasn't it? The lot of mm. us. So I w- I'd love Steve to start. I just want to quickly chat about how we perceive Geralt as a character and what we what draws him to us. If anything has drawn you to him so far, Steve, great. If it hasn't, just kind of how you perceive him. Uh, well, so far, my first thought was this guy's voice doesn't actually suit the actual human. <laughs> I don't know if that's intentional, but it's it's like he's got a really gruff voice and it sort of didn't really suit the actor if you get what I mean I'm sure I'm going to get killed for that online and I think of- there's a part of it that goes into so when witches are kids they get 
sort of immunized to different types of poison and things and to sort of develop them so that they can take these things to prepare them for battle. So if you look further down into series one, there's a bit where Geralt takes a load of potions because he's going to go and fight this thing called a Striga, which is a young girl that's turned into like a horrible um, monster because of a spell that was cast on her. And I think over time, it might well be... I don't know if it does have an effect on the voice, but I think the idea they've gone with Geralt is to give him like a gruff sort of I hate the world and what it's done to me thing, but I'm also willing to do anything for the world provided there's coin. I know what you mean though, Steve, because when Henry Cavill was first cast, I remember a lot of people being quite annoyed and upset. And I'm immediately going to jump in and say that I think Henry Cavill was perfect casting. And Henry yeah, definitely. An absolutely incredible job. Henry, if you're listening, please be our friend. Come he was completely obsessed with it. Well, did you, do you remember the interviews with him saying how he just had to read every book? He had to play the games cover to cover, but he already loved the games. He's a huge gamer, isn't he? he oh, yeah, yeah. That, that like £6,000 gaming PC. And he's like, I've heard he does Warhammer and stuff. He's like the ultimate. Henry, seriously, if you're listening, please come on the show please because or even if you want henry i'll tweet you a picture of the show's logo and just come on that <laughs> like whatever you want i'm easy or can we just go out and get a drink sometime henry because you, honestly you sound like the sort of guy that i would love to talk to but anyway i was, I was making a point when when the show was first announced henry cavill, cavill was going to be the lead i think everyone saw him as um the guy from the tudors whose name i forget um as superman of course and so steve i think you're right because when i first saw the first episode as much as i already knew that Geralt's voice was a bit raspy and a bit sort of like like gravelly i remember thinking it doesn't quite suit henry cavill because we're used to him being quite quite clear and quite concise and, and quite well spoken but it grows on you. That's all. That's all I'll say there. Yeah, I mean, I think as well. If you if you look into videos of the game as well, especially Witcher Three, he's actually not far off the voice actor from that, and it's not too exaggerated. It's quite. Um, if you're familiar with The Witcher, he's doing it in a very natural way. It doesn't sound forced. Yeah. Right, sure. I think it's it's the strangest thing because I've gone into this totally blind, you know, and. Uh, uh, it, it felt like one of those things that if you're a fan of it, you're going to pick up on a million different things, be blown away and be, oh my God, they, they nailed that pitch perfect and stuff. But if like me, you have no real frame of reference, it sort of feels kind of weird. Yeah. I wonder if it's the strange point to jump off into the world of The Witcher, into the oh. TV series. Oh, I'm going to have to give my hot take right now. I hoped my hot take, which I thought of in the car on the way back and was really proud of myself. Um, I hoped it was going to be a bit further in, but I'll say it now because Steve has just set me up perfectly for that. The one, the one criticism I think I had of the show was that I was somebody who, at that point, um, had only played The Witcher 3. So I was aware of the world. Um, I think I've said in a podcast before, if not, it's one we've recorded, and you're going to mm-hmm. hear me play this later. I'm somebody who tends to dive in when I like something into the deep lore. So when I played the game, I went on to the Google, I Wikipedia, I went on to the Witcher.wikia.com. I did all of that stuff and delved into the world. And so... One of the biggest problems with the show is, as Steve just said, there's a lot of things which, if you know what's going on, you go, aha, yeah, I know that. But this show came out on Netflix. It dropped on Netflix. Um, 
you know, this was in a post Game of Thrones world, which mm. again, I'm not going to mention too much. So there would have been a lot of people who would have gone, is this the next Breaking Bad? Is this the next Game of Thrones? I'm going to watch this and give this a chance. Now for a casual viewer, a lot of the things that happens in episode one, two, three, they're going to be thinking, what the hell was that? What's a Striga? What's this? What's that? Is that magic? Is that real? I don't know. What's a Witcher? What's this? And it's stuff that ultimately by the end of the season, they, I don't want to spoil anything too much for Steve, but by the end of the season, they've explained 99% of stuff. But at the beginning, it was quite jarring because you're sort of thinking, well, I don't know what this is. I don't know who this is. I don't know, you know, how come Geralt knows this guy? How come he knows this guy? And so it was quite, if I had one criticism, it, it would probably be that is that at the beginning and they're meant to hook you with the first episode, aren't you? They're meant to grab you and pull you in and say, come on, you want to watch more of this. But there are a few moments which I did find, I was watching it with, with a friend of mine and my wife and my wife and, my friend was sort of looking at me as if saying, what the hell is what's going on? We yeah. just know Henry's got white hair and killing shit at the moment. Like what the hell is all this? Um, it is, like I said, it is all explained away by the end and tied up quite neatly. But yeah, no, again, I completely understand why for someone in Steve's position, that would have been quite confusing. At yeah. First. Have you seen the scene in the village, Steve? Where it kills a lot of people. Yes, that's what I was getting. I didn't want to say it unless you hadn't, because I wasn't sure if it was episode one or two. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It was, uh, some so I think for me, I don't know if you'll agree. I think Stu probably will, because I'm pretty sure I've heard him say something along these lines already. That puts the sword play in things like Game of Thrones and Vikings to absolute shame. Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose being a fantasy show, you can kind of be a bit more fantastic in a way with the killings than you could with say a sort of a genuine show about yeah fencing so you can go a little bit further out with that i guess yeah, i suppose you can you mentioned game of thrones there was certain bits on that generally looked like it was just uh, it, it looked like i'd had a sort of mental breakdown and forgotten that game of thrones actually ended and ended yeah it did. in a oh, good definitely. way hmm in fact, that's what, that's, it, it felt to me like um, like an early season one Game of Thrones episode, the way, which is I, a hell of a compliment. Yeah, I think to me, Geralt feels a little bit like, I don't know if it's just because they have a similar sword and they dress differently, similarly, sorry, but he feels a little bit like Aragorn in his movements and the way he fights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could for anyone that's been under a rock for the last hundred years, he's from Lord of the Rings and he's the king. You spoil it. Spoil it. Even I knew that. Spoiled, he's the king now. Yeah. No, no one cares. I didn't know he's king. <laughs> Shit, that's, that's ruined. Yeah, that's it now. Oh, he's well, right. Yeah, he's quite similar, and I think it's the sword mainly, and it's the cloak. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, they both they, have this sort of unwitting heroism about them. Hmm. They, they, they went to a lot of tropes, a lot of fantasy tropes, um, because that's kind of what, as Steve said, that's the benefit of being fantasy. And this is proper high fantasy. This isn't Game of Thrones fantasy, which is fantasy based in reality. This was, you know, teenagers killing God at the end of a Final Fantasy game fantasy. This was high fantasy, high Western fantasy, which was 
which I like, and it's really good. With Game of Thrones, the fantasy elements felt, felt out of place at times, whereas this, yeah, they yeah. felt kind of, they felt like they meant yeah, to. Yeah, I found sometimes with Game of Thrones that the all of the stuff with the North of the Wall stuff and all the grumpkins and snarks and all that sort of stuff did get in the way of the actual Game of Thrones from time to time in the TV series, not in the book. Yeah, the book's got a nice balance, but the TV show, I remember the first time we saw the children of the uh, forest. And I mean, they used child actors who I don't think are very good, but um, it was like, it felt like BBC fucking, you know, CBBC, you know, fantasy time with granddad sort of crap, basically. Yeah, it's like a Clangers live show or some shit. We've done it it? again, boys. We've gone back to Game of Thrones. We're not going to. We're, We're using the brilliance of The Witcher to compare to something that was pretty good as oh. well. Can I, should I get my other negative out of the way now? Because it does kind of tie into what I previously said. So and you only have that other negative and this is it. Okay, go on then. Yeah, and, and this kind of, and this does, yeah. this, this actually might make a lot of things in Steve's head sort of click into place a bit cool. better. The other, and actually this, I think this probably does touch on a little bit of writing as well. Um, something that I found quite jarring at first until the last two or three episodes was the Witcher TV series doesn't tell you that it's jumping around in time and place. So, for example, something happens in episode one or two that actually is a precursor to something that happens in episode six or five and it doesn't really tell you when it's jumping around and showing you all these different things again by the end it does tie all those threads up neatly and you kind of know where you are but certainly the first two or three episodes there's certain things with um cyrilla and sort of calanth is that calanth in her name the the lion lioness um certain things things that happen there that you sort of think okay is this happening at the same time as Geralt's doing this or is this yeah. after or before and a it lot was, of stuff with Yennefer is quite jumpy isn't it as well yes oh god yeah the the, the Yennefer stuff it's there's no geography I think at one point again I'm, I don't want to spoil too much for Steve but at one point it jumps 50 years for, for Yennefer and it doesn't tell you that it's jumped 50 years other than 50 years later but what you don't know, of course, is the previous bit. Is it still caught up? Is it so that that's a little bit difficult? But again, they did neaten that up by the end. I get what they were trying to do. It's something that I considered doing when I wrote my book was kind of jumping around the times. But personally, I don't like it because I think you need to know where you are with narrative trends. There's no reason you can't have three storylines running at the same time but sometimes when you start throwing in time skips and they need to tell you that it's a time skip and, and the witcher doesn't yeah the scene and then it's only four episodes later that you're meant to work out that that scene was actually set in the past it's a bit it can get a little bit jarring at times a little bit frustrating um but other than that i mean that and the thing i said before are my only negatives so alex questions Questions. So, Ask us questions. before questions, I'm just going to quickly go on to a little bit about my comparison, having now read a large part of the first Andrei Sapowski book, which is The Last Wish, which is the books that The Witch is based off. And that's supposed to timeline season one. And I think to stand up to what you said there, Stu, the, the book is very part by part by part, and it unwinds itself, or at least it's appearing to as I'm reading. 
I, I think maybe for new users, they might well have jumped into the TV season and gone, I don't understand this and gone, oh, I'm not going to keep going. But for people like us who played the games and were sort of salivating for it, that probably wasn't a problem. And I think that is the majority of people that would have watched the TV season initially until Netflix really ramped it up. So is it done? Is there going to be another season or anything? Yeah, season two is already like half made, I think. Yeah, they started filming, but then the current global pandemic situation happened and then they had to stop and then I think they've started again. So, Yeah, they started in June again. There's going to be another season, which, you know, Henry Cavill's got to have more PCs. That is true, yeah. Um, So questions. Henry, contact us on a right good tale. No, sorry, carry on. (laughs) Poor Henry. He's going to listen to this and cry into his tunic. Why? We're, we're, we're metaphorically giving him a hand job. That is true. Henry, if you come on, I will give you a hand job. No, don't. don't no, you're going to put him off now. He might like them. Um, anyway, this is a question for Stu. How do you compare the game and the TV series? Obviously, for the reference for the audience the game is not actually official witcher canon story it's derived based on that there's a lot of things in the game obviously that happen in the story but the game is not officially recognized by the author as being canon. the 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 game canon is to the book canon what game of thrones show is to the book canon you know it's it's after season four yeah it, it's a kind of it's a retelling of the story if you if you like um what was the question you said how do i compare them okay so i guess the first comparison to make would be the obvious comparison which is the world of the witcher in the game and the tv series which yeah. was meticulously planned researched and well done they are although you don't see a lot of the same locales you see a lot of different kind of places, but having played the game, you watch the TV series, they're in the same world. Did we, um, <clears throat> did we get to see Ken Warren in the TV series? I can't recall. No, you didn't. That was heavily implied that we're seeing that in series two, I think. Yeah, because I think um, series two, obviously him and Siri are sort of setting out doing their thing, aren't they? Yeah. By, by the way, by the way, I heard <clears throat> that Mark Hamill was being considered for Vesemir, which I don't know if that's actually true. And I suppose literally as of today, that is either true or false, but I hope it is true because that would I would, be really, really I would have thought Gary Oldman would be the perfect Vesemir. Yeah, but too big. Probably, yeah, but but not that Mark Hamill's big, but because Mark Hamill is kind of niche. He's just great. And I want it to be him. Mm. Why did he never react after Jedi? That's always been a question of all of I think religious damn read make. I remember some film where he was a, he was a, something to do with a flight attendant on a crash plane or something. And that's literally all I could. Oh, and, and a silent Bob. Jay yes. Silent Bob. Unkind, but I don't remember anything else other than that of Mark Hamill until. He did a lot Luke. of voice work. And, he was re- and he's yeah. really good at voice work. Yeah, it was the best joke I'd ever had. But mm. it's always, always, always found it strange he just sort of faded off and disappeared. It's not like he was a, a bad actor or anything. Maybe he, he doesn't decent. like the limelight. Like, the, like Geralt doesn't like the direct sunlight, does he? The pale bastard. Anyway, I have another question. No, I haven't finished the answer in the other one. You well, can't hurry up then. Stop talking about Mark oh, Hamill's yeah, fucking ring piece. Um, yeah, so, so it, to compare the world of the game and the TV series, 
one for one, shot for shot, perfect. Um, you can't compare the story because they are telling different stories. Um, the game is set 20, 15, 20 years after the events of the TV show. So far. So far. So again, you can't compare the stories. Um, but I guess the, the, the easiest comparison to make, not easy, it's actually difficult, but easy in terms of which one you pick is, is the character of Geralt. And actually, again, huge props to Henry Cavill. Here is a man who he played the games and read the books. And while the games, as we said, aren't necessarily canon, you can tell there's a lot of the game in his performance, the way he moves, the way he fights. Yeah, um, that's what Netflix wanted. Yeah, definitely. And again, the way he talks, I know that was galling for Steve. Um, I was able to slide into it easier because I just thought, well, that's how Geralt talks. Um, I did think he also had had the 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 characterization of, of Geralt perfect. Now, again, for Steve's benefit, and I suppose anyone who hasn't seen The Witcher, um, part of the mutation to become a Witcher kind of dulls your senses and your emotions. Um, of all things, it gives you a really high sex drive, which is really weird, but um, it really dulls weird. your sense of emotion. But something that is testament to CG Project Wrecked especially is even though the witcher is somebody who's kind of not completely lacking in empathy and emotion but they're meant to be a lot more stoic i suppose would be a good word they're designed to be the perfect warrior aren't yeah. they the witches yeah. Geralt has so much personality for someone who isn't really meant to have a personality he's meant to be a professional he's meant to just be uber professional but he's such a fun character he's funny when he has to be he's romantic he's clever he's everything and extremely paternal when it comes yeah. to Siri as well and Henry Cavill in the first episode it was a bit more dark and brooding a lot of it was a bit more kind of he was going more for the kind of I think setting up this character as this uber professional person you know he, the job comes yeah. first but then in later episodes it's amazing because he gets that humor in especially when he's with um, Yaskia or Dandelion as I suppose people who've only seen the game will know him as yeah he's, the, the humour between them is fantastic. The romance between Yennefer and um, Geralt, again, is really well acted and really well done. Um, Henry Cavill plays him almost at times really vulnerable, which, again, for like a genetically enhanced super warrior, to be vulnerable is really difficult. And he played that so well. And again, in the books, and sorry, in the games, it's done much similar. I think my favourite bit in the whole thing and then you can move on to your next question because i've done my comparisons is is in that scene where i think he's just finished killing and he's just finished killing in the episode steve's just seen all the baddies yeah. um shitty zombies and he's finished killing all of them and then the townsmen come in and it's just he looks down and goes fuck and it's just brilliant yeah the thing is there's moments like that in the games isn't there yes there is yeah i think i think they really like you said the relationship between dandelion and Geralt, especially between henry cavill and joey Beatty, who plays dandelion in the tv season is really really well done and if you play parts of the game or if you even just watch youtube for best moments of Geralt and dandelion you'll see that joey Beatty has dandelion like down to a t it is, it is a great relationship because it's kind of like our relationship on a podcast we 
we kind of hate each other but at the same time we realize that actually we benefit each other by having each other around and that's just amazing you know Geralt does not want Yaskia Dandelion with him he doesn't want him anywhere near him but then Dandelion also is a little bit nervous about this world he's stepping into of monsters and fighting but he realizes actually this guy is worth having around Mm. and eventually Geralt realizes the same. He re- there's something that happens um, where he realizes actually this Yaskia has done me a favor. So actually having him around is not the worst thing in the world, and it's quite a nice relationship. Really, it's very very natural and quite touching at times. Really, it is. And I think leading on to other relationships, how do you feel they portrayed the relationship between Yennefer and Geralt compared to the game? Because I think fair enough. It's it's thirty years on as we pick up the game at the start in the tower at Kermoran where they're together. But I think I've always wanted to see in a proper fully rendered world, as opposed to in Witcher one, their relationship unfolds. And I think Henry Cavill and Anya Shalota, who plays Yennefer, Mm. they just nailed it. I know they're like nailing on cushions, like every five seconds in the season, but again, I have to, I have to say this, that when, when Anya, Shalatra, apologies if I've said your name wrong there. That's how I read it. Um, apologies. But but again, when she was cast, I remember a lot of people sort of saying, oh, have you not seen Jennifer of Wengerberg? Uh, but actually they were thinking of the game version of Jennifer of Wengerberg. Um, if they actually read the description of her yeah. from the book, they would realise that Anya was almost spot on you're never going to be 100 percent. and if you go back to the way it is in the books um yennefer actually is throughout the books for a long long time as she may even be all the way through the books actually remains largely disfigured yes and it's it's only a um um it's a spell it's a spell essentially it's a kind of mutation she doesn't have this thing that steve will see later on where she has her body sort of repainted and regrafted by somebody at Mm. um I can't remember the name of whatever the wherever the like the witches and warlocks converge. Yeah. She gets help in the TV. But, but yeah, season. Um, don't 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 spoil too much. No, I won't. Because that's a really good scene, and it's got the guy from Greenwing in it. Oh, it's <laughs> excellent. Really funny. And was it Greenwing? It was Greenwing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. The guy with the long hair. Um, yeah. Um, but I really like their relationship because again somebody who hasn't read the book, so I've only played the game extensively. Um, we know the ending of their relationship because. Sorry, we see it. Well, we choose the, the ending of, the of their relationship, don't well, we? Yeah, I guess we choose the ending ending, but we see the ending at the beginning of the game when they're in Care Moran together. Yeah. Um, and the beginning quest is you need to go and find Yennefer. That's the first quest in the game. Um, and it was so it was really nice to see how these two characters who didn't want anything to do with each other i suppose in its basic term actually then eventually became to rely on each other so much and so heavily and their their lives are connected yes by wish of course but as we find out in the game you you if you follow that particular path which i personally did because i ship yennefer and and gerald they're meant to be together um if you follow that particular quest line in the game you find out that it was never it was more than just the wish that kept them together it was destiny and and true love i suppose yeah i think sadly in my version my playthrough of the witcher 3 um gerald loses everyone he loves because i was a bastard and then gerald dies as well so that was a pretty shit ending for me Mm. 
Um, but, but no, it was it was cool. Their relationship was cool. How they kind of. It was quite a slow build as well, wasn't it? Because they have them through this part. I won't spoil anything, mm. Steve, but they spend quite a lot of time traveling somewhere together and they really get on each other's nerves, but you can slowly see a mild appreciation blossoming. And then they bone. Yeah, they do bone. They do bone a few times. And Naskia's watching them, which is really creepy. Yeah, but you know, you've got to get what you get, haven't you? He oh. writes some good songs about it. He does. Bone, 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 bone. So, Steve, going into it, what were your expectations from your mild knowledge of the games and that sort of thing? Or did you have none? Well, you say mild, you're pushing it really. I had very, very, very mild. Was, uh, so what was your exposure to the games? Like, have you ever seen them? Uh, no, not at all. I'm, uh, I'm about, you've got to remember with me, I'm about 20 years behind the times with everything. Don't ask oh, why, okay. I just am. But uh, game-wise... I know that is, I know it exists, obviously, I know there's a lot of them, but um, it's not something I'm familiar with. It all looked a bit like kind of Final Fantasy for me. And I think well, a lot of games these days, you can't just have a game you play for 10 minutes or half hour or whatever. It's got to be these big bloated epics. And sometimes mm. I don't have the free time or I don't fancy just playing these great big bloody epics. I just want to sit down and play something simple for a bit, you know. And most games these days seem to be these enormous epics. And the Witcher yeah. games that I'm understanding were just that. They were giant, ginormous epic games. So oh, yeah. I didn't really have much in the way of it. And, uh, See, I, I found that. Interesting, though, is uh, for years, fantasy as a genre was sort of, was kind of frownable and it was kind of mm-hmm. sort of mocked and it was kind of laughable. But these days, it seems to be more popular than it's ever been. Mm. I think guessing like Witcher and that, that have kind of enabled it to be so, I guess. Yeah, I think what's helped fantasy grow is cosplay. Yes. And I think The Witcher has had a huge part in that. I mean, you would see the amount of people at Comic-Con and all these sorts of things that dress as Yennefer and as Triss Marigold and as Geralt. It's huge. It's, It's nearly as many people that dress up as... I don't know, Princess Zelda nowadays. It's really crazy. Fucking hell, that's the first person I've heard tonight I actually know who that is. <laughs> yeah, Princess Peach, have you heard of her? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, aware, I'm aware of who Princess fucking okay. Peach is. I'm aware of about what, 982 or something. I'm aware of who that is. So person. did you know Andre Agassi no longer plays tennis? <laughs> yeah, I, I know Andre Agassi. You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mentally feeble enough. I think I'm aware <laughs> I'm of not mentally retarded, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't follow things like, like you know, most people do. I just, uh, you so, know, I'm just out of touch with things. <laughs> well, I hang around with young people, not in a quick, creepy way, but so they can try and bring them up no, to speed to the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I get, it. I get it completely because I can understand why fantasy, and especially The Witcher, would, would skip someone by because, as you said, it is, I mean, I think I'm about 80 hours into my second playthrough of The Witcher. The first was yeah. like 150 and I still haven't done it all. And it is sometimes it would be quite difficult and impenetrable. And I think Alex touched upon this earlier on, on top of what I said, I can almost see people switching off the TV series after half an hour because they're like, what the fuck is a Witcher? What the hell is this? What the hell is that? I just wanted Game of Thrones. You know, why, why, why is Henry Cavill not got his shirt off? That's the thing. I think a that lot of people came into it 
with all the articles on places mm. like Wired and Engadget saying, oh, this is, this is the perfect show for everyone that misses Game of Thrones. And it's not. This is the show for people that want to think about their protagonist. Yeah, yeah. Not for because people that want dumb shit. He's not a good guy. And I hope we've touched on this in the previous episode. I'm sure we have, but he's done some bad we shit. Have. Of course we have, because the last one was, was the last one was villains. So we have touched on this. But my favourite good guys are bad guys in a way. You know, he's he's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's... No, I mean, I'll just take a second here to read you Vulture, a very famous publication company. This is their website's initial description of The Witcher. Yeah. I'm not going to read too much because obviously I don't want to infringe upon their pussy copyright. Um, it says Netflix is the Witcher is a show a lot like its protagonist, large, rugged, and not fond of explaining a damn thing. The fantasy epic stars Henry Cavill as silver-haired hunk Geralt of Rivia, a gruff wanderer and the eponymous Witcher. For some of us, that will be enough. Henry Cavill can Geralt our Rivias all day long. Cheesy as hell, right? But it says, unfortunately, The Witcher is not as straightforward an adventure as, say, The Mandalorian. There's a lot happening around Geralt, and everything about it is understated to the point where it feels like you're expected to know what everyone's talking about. So it goes back to what Steve said about initially thinking, what the hell? But then Mm. I think they're very right with saying The Mandalorian, if you love Star Wars, you would love it. But a lot of people could go on to The Mandalorian because I think Mm. Stu mentioned this. It's kind of a cowboy movie in space. Split into ooh, ten parts. Oh, I, I like the Mandalorian. I'm not gonna say I hate it because I enjoyed it quite. I much love season. it. A mm. lot of times I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this is literally just what I used to do when I was a kid playing with the Star Wars figures, but you know, obviously with massive actors and great big effects and all that shit, basically. But at no one point am I sitting there thinking, God, this is complicated. You know, it's, it's meant to be. Mandalorian is meant to be simple. It's for children. Yeah, you know, it's Star Wars. It's a derivative of Star Wars, so it's meant to be simple. Yeah. But the impression the Witcher, with the amount of tits and blood, wasn't meant for children. Maybe I'm wrong, and I'm just out of touch. But that's the impression I got today. I just had a really hot take, literally right now. The Mandalorian is to Star Wars what The Witcher is to Lord of the Rings. Oh my god. Yeah, I think I can get on board with that. I know where you're going with that, but I'll let you elaborate for the audience. Oh, no, I, 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 I think as Steve was just saying, you know you watch star wars as a kid and then you get uh-huh. bought a doll and then you enact the mandalorian that's what you do you you play yeah. the mandalorian when you're playing with your toys a lone wanderer going around oh take this pew, 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 pew. Well, i'm the best and you can see someone when steve said it it clicked in my head you know you oh i love lord of the rings it's great in it there's monsters there's dragons there's all these little creatures the hobbits you get an action figure of aragorn and then you play the witcher that's what you do. I'm Aragorn. Oh no, I'm going to go kill that, kill that orc. And I've just realized that. Wow. That's good. That is so what just... they, you're saying is somebody, um, a young boy or girl, probably a girl, most likely actually, because they're that much better than we are growing up in Poland, reads Lord of the Rings, sees the film come oh, out. Don't do that because then I might be wrong. No, I think this is, I think this you're along the lines. I think they've gone, Oh, I like Aragorn, but I, I like Legolas's hair more. And let's make it silver. And they just push it all together and they make him a bastard. Um, and then they create this amazing world around him. And it, very similarly to the way Lord of the Rings plays out, the story arc in Witcher 3 plays out with a huge group of friends all coming together to solve the world's strife. Have a big old fight against the guy that looks exactly like Sauron. Yeah, exactly. So no offence no. to say they Project Red, because I think they've, they've 
Yeah, no, great. Modernized it and made it incredible, but there are definitely some no, it was only common tropes. When Steve said that thing, which was incredibly poignant. So everyone, hats off to Steve if you're wearing hats. If not, go and put a hat on, then take your hat off. It was the Mandalorian is to Star Wars, and the Witcher has the same relationship with Lord of the Rings. And actually, it'll be interesting to sort of touch base with Steve once he's watched more of the Witcher, if he does choose to, because I actually think that the Mandalorian suffers a lot of the same problems as the Witcher because not problems per se, because I don't think it is a problem, but I think they have a lot of similarities in so much as there's a lot of homage paid to previous things. So you watch the, the Witcher and there's a reference to this or that, which are from the books or from the game and you watch the Mandalorian and, and I watched the behind the scenes um, with John Favreau and the directors and Kathleen Kennedy and some of the behind the scenes staff where they spoke about how they made the Mandalorian and, and Dave Filoni, especially who fantastic. I love Dave Filoni. He put a lot of references into to the Mandalorian from old star wars comics and tv shows yeah again if you're a big old star wars nerd you're going to see them and go yes i love that much like in the witcher in the background of one scene there's something or or one of the characters will say something and someone who's read the books will go i remember that i remember that it's great that is so they're very similar sort of Mm. lone gunslinger kind of vibe you know what i mean The, the solo hero who's kind of a hero but he's kind of a bad guy um, but The Witcher doesn't have Baby Yoda, which is good. Mm. No, true. I think so. This is a question just for Stu and I, and I'll give my answer first because Steve hasn't yet played the games, but we will make him. Um, we will make you. We so I would. Make you play. <laughs> Let's not say that. Come on, Christ Almighty. You've said worse. Go on. I have. I have to your mother. Um, I was thinking, Stu, what's your favourite moment in the game or your defining moment in the game where you were like, oh, this is actually, this is serious shit. I think for me, it's where you you get out of the starting area. I can't for the life of me remember the name because I'm so deep into the downloadable content, everything's a blur now. And there's um, a side quest, which I'll touch back onto this because I think the side quests in The Witcher 3 are better than many main quests in any other RPG, Western-wise at least. They're about as long. Exactly, and they're properly thought out, and every character in it and the voice acting in it is as high quality as everything else, which is great. But there's this side quest where you, you're, you're on the hunt for something that's killing people in the woods, and it turns out to be a werewolf. And I'm thinking, because I've been in the starting area, and it lets me kill these things with relative ease because it's leading you into the game quite slowly unless you're playing on like whatever that high level is like bastard or whatever it is they call it and i go into the woods and i'm like oh, it's a werewolf i'll just get my silver sword out and it's dead and this mm. thing is an absolute beast it kills me i think if i remember rightly i died about 17 times before i even figured out its move set let alone figured out how to kill it and i remember thinking you've got to work on using the bombs Geralt has at his disposal the correct magical sign to slow it down or the one that blocks and makes you stronger to hits. And then you've got to time your hits against its hits and figure out its movement and pattern. So like old bosses in Nintendo games, you have to figure out the way they move and then figure out how you're going to counter that. And I came into thinking I could just swing my silver sword at it and the thing's going to go down. 
And I think that, to me, opened my eyes to what this game was going to be because it's still relatively early on. And if you're not familiar with the games, a lot of the side quests are like on the town's message boards saying this crazy beast has been pillaging our town and you've got to go and kill it. But it's just, you think you know what the game's going to be and then it becomes something entirely different and gives you this huge challenge. I think for me, that was a really defining moment. I've got two. One, one of them is very quick. Um, it's in the first area. God, the name escapes me right now, but you, you're helping the herbalist lady. Um, oh, yeah, the herbalist lady. She asks you to go to a village. There's a destroyed village. Um, you, you find the body of a woman down a well using your Batman sensors. I mean, Witcher sensors. Yes, sorry. yeah. And press L2. <laughs> and Press L2 to become Batman. And for me, this bit was more about the character of Geralt. And he does all this thing, and he goes, <sighs> looks like a ghoul. He, again, he does his Batman voice. Um, I used to call it a Batman voice earlier on. And then he, he does the, the, the sort of ritual, and then the ghost comes out. And for me, it was like, it's a fucking ghost. We do it. Um, but then showing off his character as the uber professional, he just kind of pulls out his silver sword and goes, come on. And that's it. And for me, that was yeah. like, this character is a character who doesn't give a shit. Not in, in a kind of laissez-faire lazy way, but in a, I don't give a shit because you're you've lost already mr ghost mrs ghost and then he buries it and everything's good but i think the bit for me which kind of stood the game out as something very different was when in the same starting area you've got to hunt the griffin yeah the griffin and you in most fantasy games in most not even fantasy games really in most games you've got to go kill this griffin you'd probably they might throw in a tracking quest where, and I'm sure they did this in Days Gone, that zombie game, maybe even The Last of Us. You've got to go kill a big bad. You track it. You find out where it lives. Then you kill the big bad. And there's a quick time event where you jump on it and you mash your Y button. And then the character does all this cool stuff and starts swinging at it. And that's a usual gaming trope that every game does. That. Yeah, I think we would have had that where this is a PlayStation exclusive. For me where that you would they love them um for me where that kind of said no this is a very different game to the games you're used to was because you go with vesemir your old aged companion hashtag mark hamill hopefully and you prepare and he says get yourself a potion but not just any potion that makes you stronger you have to use this type of potion because it looks like you're this isn't a griffin this is a royal griffin a very different type of griffin to a normal griffin so make sure you've got the right um decoction make sure you've got the right potion make sure you've got the right and i'm at time i was playing this thinking i'm fucked because I'm not going to be able to keep track of this. I don't mm. know what I'm doing. Like, do I have to pop it in the middle of the fight, at the end of the fight? And then you get there and you set up and you do it and it's all finished and you think, Jesus Christ, I'm a witcher. Yeah, I've that's the thing. They because make you feel like a witcher, don't they? The very next fight was against a drowner. He went, <clears throat> drowners, when he saw them, as he does. And I, you didn't need to because they're, piddly little nobodies that you can just slice away easily enough but i remember th seeing a drowner running back a bit pausing the game and going into my potions going right which potion do i need i don't have one for a drowner and thinking shit i'm gonna die because i'm not prepared and did you ever do that thing where you find a beast out in the world and you like right like the potions you shit your pants and you go into the pause menu and you go into the bestiary and read about how to kill them 
oh every time i still do that now even though i know a lot of the early plot points because the game no like i said for me as you to ask your question that was the special moment for me which kind of yeah. made it very much kind of makes you realize very, it's not just another fantasy yeah. game doesn't it this is a very special experience whereas you know other games yeah you know other games, assassin's creed for example you're an assassin you just go and press a button and someone's dead cool but this game very much that was special for me i think it's why it is top three because it was like yeah this this is you 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 can't just run in blindly unless you put the difficulty down um you have to think about things and make sure you're as prepared as you can be which was a really nice touch and i think I think we saw that. You, did you see that, Steve, in the, in the episode where he's ma- where he's making a potion? Isn't he when the woman comes and tries drugs him? Doesn't she? Um, yeah, I wasn't sure what he was doing at first. What he's just making a you know, a diet coke, but yeah, I saw that at first. It was quite good. I I just thought of another question for Steve because I want to move it slightly away from the games. Yes, I do bit. actually. And actually, I've got a question now for Steve predominantly because again it being so fresh for steve do you i remember thinking this myself did you see anything in the first episode where you you thought that the screenwriter the director were deliberately pandering to game of thrones fans perhaps with the direction of the first episode kind of um, the minute they got to a fight I sat and thought, we've seen nearly every kill in Game of Thrones with the sword playing mm. stuff, like swords going from guys' faces and stuff. I was thinking that, and then you had the bit with the uh, the wizard chap who put a, I guess, a shield spell on the castle. And I thought, well, that's kind of Melisandre. Uh, there's a few bits there, sort of like they were trying to sort of lure in the Game of Thrones crowd, but do I you think, th- to be honest, I think they've all fucked off by now, and they've had enough of that shit. Do you, you know, think... Follow-up question... As somebody, obviously, we're all Game of Thrones. I don't want to say fans, but you know, we're all we're all Game of Thrones. We've been there. Um, do you think that you could have been swayed onto The Witcher through Game of Thrones? If you get what I mean, do you think it, it would be fair to say that it's a logical jump to make from one show to the other? For a TV uh, show, yeah. Oh, I wasn't asking you, boy. I know you. I'm oh, sorry. That. Yeah, it's for well, Steve. To me, it's like, I remember when the Sopranos died. They said, "Oh, if you love the Sopranos, you'll love the Wire." And I never did. I remember looking at it and thinking, "I don't like this. It's just a bit flat. Mm. Basically, it don't really work for me." And um, I always hate it when people sort of try and do that anyway. When they're trying, "Oh, you like this stuff? Or you'll have to give that a look," you know. Because I tend to try and prefer to find things on my own and find them organically and stuff. That's how I found most of my favorite sh- favorite shows, like Six Feet Under, uh, Breaking Bad, and. Uh, Deadwood and uh, Sopranos and everything else. But it's just, um, I think you could definitely sort of get that connection. I think the trouble with uh, Game of Thrones was it once it became popular, that was it, basically. It got very, um, I don't say the writing got, got less effective or got more shallow, but once it became popular, it started, started being marketed and you started to see, I drink and I know things on every T-shirt and mug and fucking pencil mm. case from bloody Thailand. That was it for the show. I think the writing suffered, but the... Um, the writing on this show seems to be a little bit... Like I say, it feels like the first season of Game of Thrones to me in terms of um, quality. Quite a high accolade, isn't it, when you think about it? Uh, in, you... In, in two regards. One, the writing seems a lot better. And it kind of seems... It has that sort of... 
I don't say cheapness because obviously it's not a cheap show. It's a bloody big Netflix show, so they've obviously spent money on this. But if you look at the first season of Game of Thrones, it looks a lot cheaper compared to the later ones because obviously they're not spending too much money on economic on hit. So it's economic is what you were saying. Yeah, economic. Yeah, I guess that's the yeah. one I'm trying to you know point it. Doctor, yeah, that, that's Doctor Who budgeting. Well, well, yeah, but uh, it's Doctor Who's the maddest paradox going though, isn't it? Because in the 70s and 80s and the 60s, the biggest problem with Doctor Who was its budgets. Um, now, in modern age, the show's problems aren't the budget, it's fucking cast and script. Great question. It must be the ghost ship I'm drinking. Adnam, still not sponsored. Um, do you see, because again, me and Alex played The Witcher 3, The Witcher TV series is announced, great stuff, bang, bang, bang logical steps there but of course yeah. you didn't make those same steps steve do you see you've already said that you see a lot of sort of similarities between the first seasons not so much thematically but certainly how they've shot it how they've filmed it how they've written it do did you see any of the how to say this any of the sort of lingering problems from the latest series of Game of Thrones we, when when the show really became popular? Because again, Game of Thrones season one was not as popular as Game of Thrones season five. Game yeah. of Thrones season five had become this very popular, as you said, it was on T-shirts, mugs, pencils, knickers, everything. Whereas season one, it was still... Well, when Game of Thrones season one came out, it was the same as The Witcher season one. It was a very niche thing for a niche audience of people, and it was aping the original mm. books. So you've got those parallels there. Um, but obviously it evolved into this mass popularist beast. Did you see anything in The, in the Witcher that made you think, oh, I see what they're doing there. They're, they're taking it down the Game of Thrones route. Did anything feel very Game of Thronesy to you? Uh, well, when you had the young girl on horseback uh, and they were leaving the castle, I thought, is this just going to be the mountain and Arya Stark? And then he got an arrow for his throat. So I thought, oh, no, it's not. Okay. Mm, so, yeah, actually, yeah. Thought, actually, I thought, I thought, okay, so we're not going entirely. The, no. we're, not only, we're not entirely just going to ape everything that was in Game of Thrones. Hopefully just the good bits. I think, if anything, it it builds on what Game of Thrones did and it does it in a more book-centric way all the way through i would hope by the looks of it especially if you look at parts of the game which are very story driven Mm. there's very sort of well-written parts which are sort of high fantasy but in quite a gritty way and i think that's the way the tv series goes is that to its detriment though because i think all, all of us can agree that the first season of game of thrones mimicked the books to perfection um and did it but but obviously they did omit certain things and change certain things, I think, to make it a little bit easier for people to accept. Like I said, which was still a very niche thing. Fantasy was still quite niche when Game of Thrones first came out. Um, but obviously The Witcher didn't quite... It was, it's not quite as forgiving, I don't think, in terms of it throws a lot of things at you in that first episode that make you, and especially the first two or three episodes, that make you sort of think what the what's that what does that mean what what does that what does that do who's this i think it will but i think if you use it as sort of the 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 idea of game of thrones had to go to all these parties as the weirdo and introduce itself to people and people slowly came around to it and now game of thrones is the person that 
host these amazing parties and they show the witch around to all their friends and people are already accepting of it because they're so accepting of what game of thrones has created for that sort of genre and they yeah. brought it to the mainstream i think the it's witcher so has a lot to thank game of thrones for in that mm. aspect because it's already paved the way and it's just now going to take it up a notch i think i mean t- tv i think as a whole does oh definitely yeah yeah can you i mean i know steve you love the sopranos could do you think sopranos would be different now in a post game of thrones oh, world oh my god i don't know game of thrones in today's one of the young folk right now woke world is it they yeah oh, woke. i hate that shit Fuck oh off. my goodness a, 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 a sopranos in a woke world absolutely goddamn terrifies me yeah because there's no way they're having affairs. There's no way they're going to be a strip club. There's no way you're going to get hookers killed. There's no way Carmella's going to put up with him having Gamars. Gamars aren't even going to be a thing, which Gamar is for the non-mafia um, fanatics of us. Uh, Gamar is like a second family that the mob have. You know, so like, there's like a secondary wife of sorts, basically. So there's no Gamars anymore. The violence will be toned down. The racism would be toned out. A, 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 a Sopranos in the modern uh, modern world bloody terrifies me just thinking about it. Obviously, I think it's hard on? because all that stuff is great, but The Sopranos is all about a true depiction of that time, mm. not yeah. a watered down, twenty twenty eyesed depiction. Of course, can, can I just say we, we we we've all said we don't like woke culture, we don't like certain things. That doesn't, of course, mean that we are horrible people. It just means that we do not like perhaps the, the watering down of certain content. No, so like no we all agree with change and we all respect everyone's yeah. right to be exactly as they want to be. But we don't agree with little fuckwits on the internet charging into it like it's the biggest thing in the world, which it shouldn't be. Interestingly, um, oh God, I'm potentially going to open this up to a little bit of flack here, but I don't think I am because I'm going somewhere with it. I think The Witcher is very interesting as a, as a, as a, case study in a lot of modern wokeness and now i'm trying to pick my words carefully because again i am not trying to be difficult or try to say anything which is gonna gonna upset anyone but 2020 anything is upsets people nowadays but the witcher as a, as a as a series and as a concept i think has always put women in very 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 strong positions now it's worth mentioning that that Siri Cirilla is not a witcher per se, but she is somebody who, as we've seen, as Steve would have seen, is a very powerful individual. Yennefer of Vengerberg, um, Triss Merigold, these are some incredibly powerful women who don't take no shit from Geralt of Rivia. You know, these women don't take shit from him. And I think that was quite nice and organic to see because not only that, but it, it wasn't done. And here's the kicker. It wasn't done to kind of fit with modern ideas. These characters have always been this way since the books were originally written. And again, um, the, the original books and the original writing deserves a lot more credit for that very reason. Here was some very, I'll say it, here were some very woke books that were written long before all of this modern yeah. social change was happening. And and the the writer whose name escapes me, Alex. I'm sorry. What is it? The um, writer's name is Andrzej Sapowski. He deserves a lot of credit for for writing these characters, a very diverse group of characters, as equals in a very horrible world. Um, whereas I personally, again, please don't 
have a go at me for this internet, but I personally felt that towards the end of Game of Thrones, a lot of the decisions were made to try and pander to the audience, if both of you get what I mean when I say that. They kind of pushed certain storylines and characters to try and fit in with a very modern and current sensibility. Whereas, of course, The Witcher, and I can say this, didn't have to change anything to fit a very modern world because all of these characters were already that they were already these incredible characters even when the game came out five years ago and long before that when the books originally came out which full credit to the author full credit to the games and again full credit to the tv show for doing that because it never quite felt as forced as it did in game of thrones Taking us back, I think we've got with The Witcher, similar to Game of Thrones, there's a lot of very strong female characters which don't necessarily lead the this, this show until maybe halfway through where you see Yennefer's story really taking over while Geralt's doing a lot of stuff in the background. But I think the main takeaway for me from The Witcher TV series, having watched Game of Thrones, they'd learn all of the lessons that Game of Thrones had showed them and they now realize what they need to do to keep it going and keep it strong throughout and not have to clutch at straws because the world is changing around them. I think the world has now settled down and given storytelling a better direction. Yeah. And I have to say, um, again, I didn't know the story of Yennefer. I touched on that before, but watching it what a great story that turns out to be oh it's it's so good it's got more twists in its tail than a scorpion eating a snake that makes no sense um it was incredible because again i know i knew a lot of the kind of the beats boom 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 i knew a lot of that because i knew the character but it was amazing how they did it um i don't want to spoil anything really so i'm not going to because the show's only been out for like six months. So there's still probably a lot of people who haven't watched it yet. Um, But it was just incredible how, I mean, by the end of that show, she is a changed woman in, in so many ways, but she's also, she's also, you know, I don't want to say the strongest because I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to make up for what I said earlier on, but she's certainly the character who has the most growth of anyone else in that she series. is i think quite similarly to the way aria grows by going to the faceless men she has a, a lot of growth that takes place at the school doesn't she yennefer yes and it's not all good and again that is i like that storytelling wise and certainly i know steve likes it because it's in his book whereas a lot of character development the best character development comes from bad things not always good things mm-hmm. you know as simple as that yeah, I think that's quite interesting. Is there's a lot of things that are horrible that happen to people in the seasons. The majority of them get over it and become much more interesting and much more watchable because of it. I would say, especially as um, young dandelion here, as you can hear in your left ears, people. Unfortunately, sorry, carry on. No, that was it. I was saying there's a lot of characters that that you come to love. And I think it'll be interesting to discuss with Steve in a few days time. And we'll put a few little tidbits from Steve out on Twitter and Instagram and his favorite bits that he's, he's gone through in the TV series. And it'll be interesting to discuss it from a really fresh perspective from someone that had never heard about it 
to someone that's now fully caught up and hopefully chomping at the bit for season two. Mm. Oh, also, just as a little caveat, did you know there was actually a TV series that was done previously in Polish only? Yeah, it was in like the was it in the nineties or the it was in 2000s? early two thousands. Yeah, I've not watched it, but I think I might as a little social Nor experiment. I, I bet it's like sharp. I bet it's like sharp. I think everything's it's like really sharp. Cool guitar riffs. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon there's lots of heavy metal pinched harmonics in there. The geeks will know what, I, what I'm talking about. The non-geeks, it's a squealy noise your guitar makes. Just imagine Sharp charging down the hill at a load of Frenchmen, and that's the sound that Alex just described. Yeah, or like the Halo intro song that Steve Vai did. Oh, Steve Vai. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Halo. We'll talk about Halo soon, because they've just announced a new one, kids. Hmm. <clears throat> Chief. Should we, I mean, are we done? I think we're done. I don't think, I think we're, I think we're, we're, we're never done. done. But we're, ne- we're never done, are we? But Stu and I could do a very serious, really long, boring discussion about the games that only Stu and I and three other people on Twitch might care about. So we might go on Twitch and stream a bit of our favourite parts of The Witcher in the coming weeks and let you guys get involved and come and tell us how shit we are. Mm. Um but I think from a standpoint of discussing the three mediums, the games, the film or the TV series and the books cover, I think we're quite well covered. And I think similarly to the initial ramble about my mother giving the dog Christmas presents, I think we have pretty well wrapped it up, haven't we, lads? I would say so. So this has been a right good tale. I've been out. Who have you two lovely gentlemen been again? Hang on a second. When the white wolf fought a silver-tongued devil, his army of elves at his hooves did they Revel. I can't sing, but I'm having a good, t- a good time. I'm not going to sing Queen. I was tempted to then. but yeah. You're going to sing Queen? So, Stu, do you remember when the first episode, or at least what will then be the first episode, you start singing? Do you think you're just yes. going to sing in every episode now? Because I think Steve no, and I have I... taken a private vote, and we don't want you to do that. Because I haven't sung in every episode. It's just toss a coin to your witcher. It's like one of those songs that you hear. Steve hasn't heard it yet. It's Can you sing? You hear and it's just in your head. <laughs> Can you sing your alternates, um, Henry Cavill version of that for the audience, please? Oh, what was it? I sung earlier on, didn't I? Something about you would toss oh, was, um, Henry Cavill. Toss the coin to Henry Cavill for his gaming PC, for his gaming PC. They're not cheap. So They're not um, cheap. And then you could go on to say toss a coin to Henry Cavill for his gaming PC, for it was expensive. For it was expensive. Um, yeah, so we're going to be setting up a... Um, GoFundMe page to pay for Henry Cavill's gaming PC. We are, yeah, we're also going to set up a GoFundMe page and an OnlyFans account to pay for seats to have seen lessons.